So today we are starting a new series entitled Becoming Who You Are. And it's really become a custom for us during the summer that we dive deep into a book. And this summer we're going to check out the incredible letter in the New Testament called Ephesians. So we're going to make our way through that. And really the first part of that theme is becoming who we are in a relationship with Jesus. Talk more about the overview of that, but let me begin this way by asking you this question. I think it's a really important question of our day. Who are you? And there are a lot of different ways to answer that question, right? A lot of different directions in which we can go. And so if we had to, you know, basically fill in this blank, and if we were saying, I am what? You know, what would you say to that, right? We could talk about politics, either I'm conservative or I'm progressive. We could talk about, you know, being in a blue state or a red state. These days, we could talk about being, you know, a man or a woman. We could talk about sexual expression. We could talk about being a fan of God's team, the Dallas Cowboys, or Satan's team, you know, the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, There are a lot of different ways, a lot of different ways that you can fill in that blank. And Would you agree with me that we live at a time where a lot of the identifiers, right, our identity is doing more to pull us apart than it is to bring us together? And I don't know if that grieves your heart, it grieves mine. And wouldn't it be great if there was something deeper, something more profound, something more lasting that could bring us together and give us a sense of unity, even beyond all the diversity that we have in this room, you know, where we come from and all of those kind of things. Well, the good news is there is something deeper and there's something more profound that has the potential to unify us and maybe even just as us individual, individually to help us understand not just what we know about what it means to be in a relationship with God, but to experience it in a very personal way way. I think one of the keys to answering this question of who am I um, is something that in our day we might say, well, who says? Right? Who is that going to be? Is it going to be our culture that tells us who we are? Is it maybe my family of origin? Is it my friends? Is it myself? Wouldn't it be great if there was something more permanent, something more profound, and something even beyond us that got that question right. I believe we're gonna begin to unpack that in this letter called Ephesians. Because there it begins with this sense of identity and what it means for really anyone to be in a relationship with Jesus. So let me give you just a little bit of an overview. The book kind of breaks down into three sections, and each one has a theme or an emphasis. The first one, here's where we're going to start, is who you are in Jesus, and then comes living out of who you are. So if that is our identity in a relationship with God, what does it mean to live that way? What does it look like? What does it sound like? And he's going to talk about friendships and relationships. He's going to talk about marriages. He's going to talk about families. He's going to talk about relating to the world around us. And then also at the end, there's this idea of winning the battle in our souls. That tension, that struggle, where does the power to win that battle come from? And so if we're going to put it simply, we're going to begin with identity, then we're going to go to application, and then we're going to talk about the spiritual power to accomplish that. 
I hope that this speaks to just not our day, but to each one of us about what it means to be in Jesus. So with that in mind, let's jump in. And this is basically at the outset of this letter, an address, you know, who it's coming from and where it's going. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me give you a little context. You see that this is written to people in a real city at a real time living in the real world. And Ephesus was a city that the Apostle Paul, who writes this letter, he had gone there on one of his many journeys around the Roman Empire, and Ephesus was a big deal city of its day. It was influential. It was the headquarters of the worship of a Roman goddess called Artemis. Artemis was believed to be the goddess of fertility, and in that uh, city was a huge temple in honor of Artemis, and let's just say the worship involved in that place was graphic. And that's all we're going to say in church on a Sunday morning. And that is the city into which Paul comes, and then he talks to them about who Jesus is and why he came. And remarkably, there are a lot of people who become followers of Jesus in that city. And it unsettles things because it affects the local economy. There were people who were constructing icons um, to the goddess Artemis. All of a sudden, people don't want to buy those anymore. So the city gathers together in this huge arena that seats some 20,000 people. And it says, for hours they chanted, great is Artemis of, of Ephesus. And Paul had to run from Ephesus for his life because they wanted his head. He's the one who's upset the apple cart in Ephesus. And then a few years later, Paul is arrested and he's taken to Rome and he's sitting in a Roman prison. He wants to appeal his case before Caesar. What's his offense? Saying Jesus is Lord instead of Caesar is Lord. And that was a punishable offense. He wants to come before Caesar. Unfortunately for him, the Caesar at the time is a guy named Nero. If you know anything about Nero, Nero was not a nice dude. And Nero did not like anybody saying that somebody was Lord besides him. History tells us Paul never made it out of Rome alive. He was executed there in that place. But while he's sitting in prison, awaiting his trial, he writes this letter to people that he knows people that he loves, people that he cares about, people that he wants to see thrive in their relationship with God. And after he left, things didn't settle down a whole lot. So they're having a hard time walking in the middle of that environment. And so now Paul is going to write them a letter. And he begins with identity and all that they have in their relationship with God. Grammatically, Paul begins in verse 3, the single longest sentence in all of the New Testament. It goes from the beginning of verse 3 all the way to the end of verse 14. No English translation tries to pull that off. Every English teacher known to mankind would have ripped that thing to shreds. That's a run-on sentence, Paul. You can't write it that way. And so they break it down. But it's as if Paul, one after another, says... This is who you are, and this is what you have, and this is what it means to belong to the God who loves you. And so let's begin with just three of the truths that Paul begins to unpack, because we don't even have time for all of them today. Here's the first one. I am incredibly blessed. In Jesus, 
I am incredibly blessed. Here's what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. Now, maybe you know the Bible, the New Testament, was written originally in the Greek language. And one of the good things to do when we're reading it in English is that sometimes the words don't always have a one-to-one -one correlation. So if there's a key word, you know, to understand and study, what did that mean in the original language? So I thought the word every is really important here because he's talking about something incredibly important. So what does it mean to have every spiritual blessing? And I looked and I studied and the deep, you know, Greek hidden meaning is every means every. It simply means all of them are available to you. Yeah, this is not mysterious at all. Paul begins by saying, you have every access to everything that God has that he has poured out on you. Now, here's the question, and because you know some of the context now. So, Paul, you're sitting in a Roman prison cell for the offense of not calling the Caesar Lord, and your life is even going to end there. And you're talking about this. What are you talking about? He's not always talking about circumstantial blessings, right? A lot of times, that's what we pray for, right? And, and I do that. God, change this, do that, make them different, you know? But what he's talking about here is the confidence, the hope, the assurance that is so much greater than the circumstances of life. And, I, and if you wonder, where do you find that? How do you get there? He's going to tell us that's found in Christ, in Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I feel like I had an unfair advantage getting a front row seat to somebody who's lived that more in modern times. Later this afternoon, I'm going to do what I've done for a number of years. I'm going to call my mom. And my mom will, in September, turn 89 years old. And at her peak, she was five foot one. I think she's down to about four foot nine. Now, you know, as time goes on, we kind of shrink. But she's a giant in many ways. Let me give you a little bit of her story. She grew up in Germany and was a child during something called World War II. She was 11 years old when the war ended. There are times with great difficulty, she shared some stories about what life was like there like hiding her mom from soldiers that were coming through because of the stories of terrible things that were done in a war setting. After the war, she would talk about what a big deal it was to get a new pair of shoes, sometimes several years between pairs of shoes, about having not enough to eat or exactly the same thing to eat every, day after day, and what a treat it was to get some meat for a change. She marries my dad at the end of his life. For the last four years of his life, he had Alzheimer's, and she decided to keep him home. And if you know anything about Alzheimer's, it's not pretty. That's really hard. Nowadays, she has macular degeneration. She fell not that long ago, broke her upper arm, and has these fainting spells. And here is what I will hear this afternoon when I call her. God has been so good. I think it's the exact same thing that Paul knows sitting in a Roman prison cell. Because you could look at the circumstances and go, really? Maybe I'll hear this. This doesn't happen all the time. She always says, God has been good. She doesn't always say this, but I hear it every once in a while. 
yeah, I thought maybe this week I'd go home to heaven. Like, sorry to disappoint you, mom. You're still here talking to me. I don't know. <laughs> sorry. But where does that assurance, that hope, that confidence ultimately come from? And Paul tells us that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. But do you notice where it is found when he says, in Christ, in a relationship with God. This is not something that we earn. It's not something that we perform our way into. That when we are in Christ, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. What does that mean? What does it mean to be in Christ? It's when we say yes to Jesus. And Pastor Jimmy before was talking about that illustration with the keys during communion, right? What is the key to that relationship? It is saying yes to Jesus. And when we do, we are in Christ. And with that comes the access to everything he has. And lest we think, well, that little phrase, you know, that could mean, you know, a number of different things here. Just in chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul uses in Christ 10 times. Verse 3, 4, 6, 9, 10, 12, 13, 17, 22, and 23. You think Paul is really zeroing in on something? That who you are and all that comes along with it, you know where it's found? It's found in Christ. And what this means is that a relationship with God is not something that is in process, so to speak. Sometimes people will talk about it this way. Well, you follow after Jesus while well, I'm working on it. And in one sense, I understand that. But I think Paul would tell us, you're either in Christ, you've either said yes to him, or you have not yet said yes to him. But once you do and you are in Christ, there is an incredible amount of blessing that comes along with that. And it is the kind of thing that is valuable, not even in the best circumstances of life, but it is something with which God transcends even that. Paul's not talking about performance here. He's talking about position. Where are you? And he says, in Christ, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. So not only am I incredibly blessed, but I am chosen by God. Look at this as he goes on. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us, he's doubling down now, for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. He chose us. This is saying that God picked you and picked in your favor. And when did this happen? Before the foundation of the world, before you ever did anything, said anything, thought anything, desired anything, got anything wrong or right, God said, I choose you. And this has a theological debate around it. Some people write, God is through predestination choosing people and other people say, well, but we choose God. And, and what's the reality of that? tension or that debate? And the answer is, did God choose us or do we choose him? Yes. Yes, we do. And the writers in the Bible don't see a great need to resolve all of that tension. They just present it there. There's this mysterious thing. And the moment we say yes to God, his yes is already there because it was before the foundation of the world. And God decided in your favor. God said yes to you. I don't know how many of you grew up and maybe were traumatized in gym class when they picked up sides. You remember that? 
I'm not sure they do that anymore because of the psychological damage, you know, that has caused to so many people there. All right, pick, you know, da, 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 da. And the last person picked, it's just this horrific thing. And in all honesty, they did that when I was in school. I was never picked last, but can I tell you this in gym class of a day when it did not go very well? We were gonna wrestle, just the boys now wrestling, and to wrestle, you have to get into the proper weight class, right? So I'm in eighth grade, and there with middle school, it was the year before becoming a high schooler, near the end of the year, so I'm almost in high school, and we have to weigh in. And let's just put it this way, when I was in eighth grade, I was scrawny. And so I get on the scale, and I weighed 88 pounds in eighth grade. And there was some laughter for anybody who got on the scale and didn't weigh a whole lot. I was in the under 90 class. It was, you guys just stand over there with those mop handles and those brooms and stuff, and we won't know who's who over there. And I wonder if you've ever experienced in one way or another, it seems like everybody's got it all figured out and everybody's on a team already, but not me. And what Paul is saying to people who are facing a hard time in a city called Ephesus, hey, wait a minute, God chose you. God said yes to you. God decided in your favor. And it wasn't because of what you did, because when did it happen? Oh, before the foundation of the world. It's not tied to how great you are. He chose you. And it says that he um, is going to be holy, that we will be holy and blameless before him. And if you think, well, I guess that rules me out because I'm not holy and blameless right now. Let me tell you what's going on here. It's something that theologians refer to as the already but not yet that the God who stands apart from time sees us, and when we are in Christ, he already sees where the story ends and how it ends. And so we've said yes to Jesus, but we're not like Jesus completely, but he sees how that's gonna end. In another one of his letters from a Roman prison, Paul says these words, he who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Jesus Christ. God knows how the story ends. And so maybe we're under construction, but we're not yet completed. He sees that one day that will be completed. So this is not a statement to get us, you know, discouraged about who we are and the things that we still struggle with. It's meant to give us a confidence and a hope about God's power ultimately bringing to conclusion what he began the minute that we said yes to Jesus. So I am incredibly blessed, I am chosen by God, and I am a loved child of God. Here's how Paul goes on. He said, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And you see the word adoption there is really clear. And if you wonder, adoption as sons, is Paul a sexist guy talking about how men are better and women are not so great? This is something that if you were in the Roman culture, it would have had understanding right from the beginning. Because the only ones in that culture who could receive the full inheritance were sons, not daughters. Not saying that's right or wrong, but that's the way it was. So saying this is no matter who you are, when you say yes to Jesus, you get it all that comes along with Jesus. 
in the Roman culture, what did adoption include? You received a new identity. Your past was completely expunged from the record. It's as if it didn't happen. And your life really is stated to begin from that day on because you were a new part of a new family and your old life was gone. You receive a lifetime guarantee. The family that adopted you could not ever unadopt you. You were in and you were safe and you were secure. And then you receive an equal inheritance. Everything that is available is given to you. And God pictured metaphorically as a father adopts us as children who receive all that he has. Now here's what I know when we talk about God as a father, that for some people the image of what a father is can be a difficult one. And if we think, well, my father was a jerk, then God must be a jerk too. And I get how that unfolds. And I'll just tell you from my own perspective, I had a rough relationship with my dad for a lot of years. We were reconciled near the end of his life. And I'm thankful for that. But I understand how it can be difficult to think of how good God is when that's not the example that we have had. But what is pictured for us here is a God who is the best possible version of what a father could be. And that the intentions he has for us are good. And to protect us and to be with us, just think about this. Jesus left heaven and came to this world so that we could belong to him. Not a God standing far off, telling us to do better, telling us to get our act together. He's the one who came all the way down and did in our place what we could not do for ourselves. To give you a little bit of a picture of that, I want to show you a video here. Check this out. This is from the 1992 Barcelona Olympics, and the race gets off, and this is Derek Redman. And all of a sudden, he pulls up and grabs his hamstring. Later, they discovered he ripped the muscle right off the bone. That is painful. But he's come all this way and put all that effort in, and he decides, you know what? I'm going to go to the finish line. So he starts hobbling, and people are trying to dissuade him and get him off the track. Somebody comes. This is actually Derek's father named Jim. And somebody who could read lips could tell that Derek said, I can't make it. And his dad says, we can. And so the father starts walking with him. People try to get him off the track, and he gets a little bit defensive. <laughs> and don't you love that? It's like, get away from my boy, because we are going to finish this race. And nobody takes my son off this track. And so as they continue to come, he's like, nope, get away. <laughs> get away. We're going to make it to the finish line. When you think of a father... Picture this. Somebody who says, yeah, I know you're hurting, but I will not leave you, and I will see you through, and I will see you to the finish line. And I think there are many of us who think, I can't make it. And there's a God who says, I will walk with you. Yes, you can. 
And so Paul, sitting in a Roman prison cell, talks about what it means to belong to God. And he says, you have been adopted by a God who will not let you go. And everything he has is available to you. So let me ask you this question again as we wrap it up for today. And Paul's just beginning to unfold what it means to be in Christ. Who am I? Who am I? And with that key question of who says, I think what Paul's helping us to understand is that in Christ, I am who he says that I am. What does that start with? Incredibly blessed. Chosen by God. He said, I choose you. And you're a beloved child. One that he will not ever let go. One that he will get to the finish line. Would you bow your heads together with me? God, we were singing just a few moments ago about blessed assurance. And where does that come from? And God, it's not found in us. It's found in you of being in Christ to being in Jesus. And it's amazing to think that the God of the universe before this world was even made, said, I choose you. I set my love upon you. And one day I will leave heaven for you. And I will not let you go. So God, thank you for the kind of love that is so much greater than our level of performance a love that sees us through each and every day, come what may. And God, may we increasingly come to understand what it means to be in a relationship with you, to be in Christ. And ultimately, God, let that flow out of our lives as well, that we would seek to honor you, to respond to the goodness and grace that we have been given, and that we would seek to walk with the one who is leading us ultimately to himself. So thank you for grace all along the way. God, thank you for your patience with us. And God, may we just open our hearts to all that you have for us. And may our understanding not just reside in our heads, may it live in our hearts, and may it flow through our lives, ultimately to your honor and to your glory. And so we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.